0: Well, I come up here in uh, March, figured it, it would be a little less snow. <laughs> Somebody put up a big sign in Peterborough, one of those big roadside signs. It was in the Peterborough this week. Whoever's praying for snow, you can quit now. <laughs> this has been quite a winter, hasn't it? Uh, Beth and I were out to Winnipeg last weekend and... And uh, boy, there was snow. There. <laughs> I, I rented a little Chrysler 200 car, and on the side streets, I was bottoming out. <laughs> Ruts were so deep, it was dragging. So, uh, yeah, it was quite a winter. But we know spring's coming. How, how do you know spring's coming? Calendar says so. <laughs> and we've had a few thousand years where it works. <laughs> Winter gives way and spring comes. And it's already been quoted in the song we sang in G- Genesis chapter 8 when God makes his covenant with Noah after the flood. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The seasons, day and night, the seasons of the year keep rotating. And that becomes a a metaphor for God's faithfulness. Just like you know that after winter comes spring. You know God will come through. Now how and when? (laughs) It's like this spring. We just keep waiting. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes spring comes early. But this year is a long one. Israel's seasons are a little bit different than ours. And radically different than ours. And it has a little different tone. Interesting. In Israel, there's no rain all summer long. From about April till November. No rain. Well, once in a while, a little shower, but no rain. It just gets drier and drier. And then, about November, comes some rain. The fascinating thing, we happened to be there one year at the end of October... And down around Beersheba, there's a big plain, flat area. And they were out there with tractors and machinery seeding grain. And they were literally seeding it in dust. The dust blowing behind those cedars was just amazing. they was just dry, dry, dry land. And they seed the grain before the rain comes. Now there's a statement of faith, I'll tell you. <laughs> If it hasn't rained in six months or seven months, it's time to plant. Why? Because the rain is going to come. And in the Bible, in the King James, that's called the former rain. You know what the next rain is called? The former and the latter Latter rain. And there's a whole movement around in the charismatic circles about the latter rain. (laughs) The former rain sprouts the seed, the early rain. In the NIV, it's the autumn rain and the spring rain. It kind of loses a little bit, I think, the poeticness of the former rain and the latter rain. They call it the autumn rain and the spring rain. Because the winter in Israel is not cold. You occasionally get a little snow, not, not every year even. But they get quite a bit of rain. You get rain in November, and then it's on and off throughout December and January. And then in February and March, you get real good rains, usually. And that's what fills the grain out. It sprouts with the first rain. The latter rains make it produce. And it fills out the grain and prepares for the harvest. And again, this becomes a biblical metaphor for God's faithfulness. Just like the former rains come and sprout the grain, God will always bring us new life. Just like the latter rains come and fill the grain out to make a great harvest, God will provide. And you'll find that metaphor running all through the poetry of the Old Testament. And the hymns we sang this morning it was all there. We're sure about the seasons. Like we absolutely know that winter turns to spring, spring turns to summer, summer turns to autumn. But in the turmoil of this life, we're not always quite so sure about God's faithfulness. We struggle with God's faithfulness. The most most, uh, detailed psalm about the faithfulness of God, in fact, the most condensed passage in the whole Bible about the the faithfulness of God, is also a psalm about inner turmoil. Psalm 89, if you have your Bibles, really turn to this one, and get a pen out, mark out the good stuff. (laughs) There's uh, great lessons in Psalm 89. The first section is this amazing thing, uh, poem, in the praise of God's faithfulness, and God's other great characteristics too. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness, too, is in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all that surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon sing for joy in your name. Your arm is endued with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. And by your favor you exalt our horn, our strength. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Now, before we go on to the rest of the poem, you've got to look back and see who wrote this. It, my Bible has headings. Some, some do, some don't. And this is called a mascal, a musical piece, of Ethan the Ezraite. Now, that probably means absolutely nothing to you. <laughs> well, if you go back at 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, there's a very fascinating passage where Solomon, King Solomon, is declared to be the, most, the wisest man in all the earth. And it says he was even wiser than Ezra, or Ethan the Ezraite. Solomon was even wiser. Now, that's how they compared. If you really got it, you got to be one step better than this guy. <laughs> it turns out, in the long run, Ethan was wiser than Solomon. He, Ethan was one of the great counselors in the court of King Solomon. And he lived through seeing the wisest man in the world become a fool. Solomon was uh, attracted to power, started out humble, I mean there's that wonderful story of how when God offered him anything he asked for wisdom, he was a humble leader, but he was attracted to power, and it gradually absorbed him, and one of the ways of accumulating power in those days was for the king to marry a daughter from each of the other kings as peace offerings to keep the alliances moving. And it says, Solomon, crazy? Eventually he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. His wisdom was totally gone. (laughs) 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 And not only did he have all these wives... He began to go worship. He allowed them to build temples to their gods in Jerusalem. And then he began to go with them and participate in all these heathen religions. And he became spiritually a fool. Turned his back on the living God and worshipped other gods. During his lifetime, there was no war. But when he died, all hell broke loose. Solomon's son was Rehoboam. Solomon taxed the people beyond belief. Well, they say in the time of Solomon, in the city of Jerusalem, silver was not even counted. It was only gold and diamonds and gems that counted for currency. Silver was like the paving stones on the street. The people paid for all that. They paid dearly in taxes. When Solomon died and Rehoboam took over, the people sent delegations to him saying, have a bit of mercy. We need a break. Lower our taxes. Help us live a better life. And Rehoboam was arrogant, young, followed the, the he had a bunch of his aged peers, cronies around him as counselors, and they said, no way, we'll tax them more. So we can live rich. And the f- famous thing that Rehoboam said. My little finger. Will be as thick as my father's forearm. <laughs> you know what happened? Civil war. The civil war. and A guy named Jeroboam. <laughs> it gets confusing. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam, Jeroboam had rebelled against Solomon. And for fear of his life. Had run and taken up exile in Egypt. By the way. History never changes, does it? <laughs> you hear these words and these names, you think, Jiggers, that sounds familiar. <laughs> he, he, so Jeroboam had gone down to Egypt, and when the people rebelled against Solomon, he came back and led all the northern tribes in civil war against Solomon. That's against Rehoboam. And the north won. And the the throne of David... The throne of Solomon, now the throne of of Rehoboam, becomes the throne of just a little tiny country called Judah that had the tribe of Judah and the wee little tribe of Benjamin. And a little tiny piece of land. Like you look at how small Israel is on the map today. The nation of Judah was a quarter of that. Just a little wee, almost nothing. And the Egyptians were waiting. And as soon as that happened, the Egyptians came, sent their armies in to conquer Jerusalem and wreck everything, destroy everything, and take over power. And Ethan the Israelite lived through all that. And now, what happened about all the promises God made about the throne of David? Does God keep his promises? Is God faithful or not? Well, listen to the poem. Once you spoke in a vision. This is Ethan talking to God. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I, I, I think there's got to be a, a pun, a, a wordplay in there. It has five times the faithfulness of God, and now it says the people are faithful. <laughs> and I think... You gotta begin. <laughs> it says once you spoke to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil I have anointed him, my hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppose him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through, all, and through my name his horn, his strength will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also anoint him my firstborn and most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. He will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness and I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness of the, in the sky. The Ethan is saying, remember God, you made all these promises. You made this wonderful covenant with David. And now just two generations later, Look at how the psalm goes on. But you have rejected. You have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have dealt his, defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his stronghold to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and you have covered him with a mantle of shame. Boy, what an accusation against God. He said, Look where we're at. Our country's in ruin. Our brothers and sisters are killing each other. When we get done with that, the Egyptians come and finish up. The throne of David is ruined. What would you answer? Interesting how he ends the song. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life, for what futility you have created all people. What human can live and not see death, or save himself from the power of the grave? O Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked. How I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations. The taunts with which your enemies have mocked, O Lord. With which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. How long? But he's got one more verse. One more verse. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Praise God in it. I don't think we can be very harsh on Ethan, the Ezraite. Because I've been in situations in my life, and I expect you have too. If you've lived, certainly if you've lived long enough to get a bit of gray hair, you've been in circumstances where it looks like God deserted you. It looks like that. But on the other hand... The Bible is consistent in its teaching that God is faithful. So how would we put those two together? Right in in the passage where he is talking about the covenant with David, Ethan gives us a whole bunch of ideas to work with. Look back at verse 30. If his sons forsake my laws, if they violate, violate my decrees, The covenant promises to David were not unconditional. There was an if on the front of each sentence. Here are all the promises I will make to this kingdom if they worship God wholeheartedly, if they don't turn to other gods, if they don't turn away. There was one part of the covenant with David that is unconditional. There's no if. It's the part in the covenant of David where God says a son of David will sit on the throne of David forever. There's no if. You see, you have to read God's words carefully. And so the first thing that God is faithful to, God is faithful to his word. Now we often misunderstand God's word. Just like Ethan does right here. And we need to make it a part of our life to search the Word of God and to listen to the Holy Spirit and live in the truth of what God says. There are lots of deceptions. And we're all deceived to some extent, I'm sure. But God gives His Word through the Scriptures, through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through everyday stuff. God's Word is here. And God is always faithful to his word. The second thing, in verse 32, 33, sorry. But I will not take my love from him. God's love is absolute. And no matter what happens in this life, God's love is continual. God's love is like An artesian well. You can't plug the thing. (laughs) If you plug it one place, it'll come out somewhere else. And God's love is not because we deserve it, not because we're faithful, not because we live up to what we think we should. God's love is there because God is there. It's just God's love. And God is always faithful to his love. And even though this country, Israel, had gone through this terrible civil war and been ground into the dirt, God's love was still there. Still faithful to his love. Number three. Verse 34. Um, he is faithful. Verse 34. I will not violate my covenant. Or alter what my lips have uttered. God is faithful to his covenant. The covenant he made in the Old Testament was... The, the law and the prophets, the covenant he made with David, and, of course, in our thinking, the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, covenant, we've lost the word in modern English. It's sad. The covenant is a special relationship based on unalterable vows. Now, we, we still have a little hint of it in marriage. Some people think of marriage as a special relationship based on vows. Most in our society think of it a convenient relationship based on whether I like it or not. They've lost the covenant idea altogether. <laughs> so we don't even use the word anymore. But we've been, been allowed this amazing relationship with God through God's covenant. God, And amazingly, God is the one who makes the covenant. We don't. God makes this special relationship for us. And we enter into it by faith. And so God is always faithful to his covenant. He's always there to forgive. He's always there to restore. He's always there to lead us on. He's always there to give us a reconciling, a relationship with himself. He's always there to bring us into a closer and closer love relationship with himself. Even in the middle of a civil war. God is faithful to his covenant. In verse 35, God is always faithful to his holiness. His holiness. Holiness means the way in which God is different than us. And there are many aspects to the holiness of God. But one of them is that he operates in the human race in a way that's different than we do. God's holiness is, of course, without sin, but it's much more than that. One of the ways we understand God's holiness is the person of Jesus Christ. And there are two, two passages in the, in the book in the New Testament we should just take a minute and look at. First one is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through an 11. This is the long passage on God's discipline. That we are the children of God, and God corrects us and straightens us up and uh, motivates us to do things differently and um, down to verse nine, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more well that's a that's a a, a statement that states a general fact, but not always true there are situation in which a father is not respected uh, whether because the discipline was in, in, inappropriate or the person is rebellious there's a whole lot of stuff but comparing with God God is a good father then verse 10 said 9 says moreover we have all had human fathers who di- disciplined us and we respected them for it how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for, his, for our good that we may share in his holiness. In the circumstances of life, God twists and turns and shapes us in order that his holiness will show up in us. That we become more and more holy. We become more and more godly. Now, I challenge you to think about that, because if life was always easy, if everything we asked for happened tomorrow morning, I challenge you, I don't think we would ever grow in holiness. we just grow in selfishness. And so when things that are difficult happen to us, we say, God isn't faithful. Wait a minute. God is always faithful to his holiness. And brings us into holiness. That's paralleled by Romans 8. Romans eight twenty eight, And many, many people know this verse or have a plaque of it on their wall at home. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. We know that God works for good in our lives because we're the children of God. I, have very, I don't think I've ever seen a plaque that has verse 29. And I've asked many, many people, do you know Romans 8, 28? Oh, yeah. Do you know Romans 8, 29? No. <laughs> well, listen to what 29 says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Good in God's terms is not comfortable. You get that? You know, and when I'm thinking about me, I think good is when I'm comfortable. Like last night, I couldn't get any better. Sitting watching the hockey game. My wife brought me a great big dish of apple crisp and ice cream, (laughs) and I'm sitting watching the hockey game, and Montreal won in overtime. (laughs) You know, and life is good, eh? Not all the time. (laughs) I don't get ice cream every day. (laughs) You figured that out? (laughs) But God works in every detail of our lives to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And when we just look a little bit more like Jesus, God says, oh, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Now, getting there sometimes is really uncomfortable. (laughs) Really tough. It could even mean civil war. It could mean death all over the place. It could mean your throne ground into the dust of the dirt. It could be your crown thrown down the street. But God is faithful to his holiness, to Christlikeness. And finally, verse 36. His line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. God promised that the throne of David would last forever. Ethan thought that was through Solomon, and he was disappointed in Solomon. He thought that was through Rehoboam, and he was absolutely decimated by Rehoboam's defeat. But what was God's plan? All the kings of that little country, Judah, which lasted for about 300 years, all of them were sons of David. The royal line kept going through the, sun, through the little country of Judah in the southern kingdom. Then the exile came, and they were all taken to Babylon, wiped out, and most of them killed. Some sold as slaves, others taken to Babylon. When they came back from the exile... The Bible tells us the leader, the governor, was called Zerubbabel. And he was a prince in the line of David. But he was never allowed to be called king because they were ruled by the Persians. He was only a governor. And then the line gets hazier and hazier as it comes closer to Jesus. But the Bible makes it very clear, and you wonder why in the world there's those great long passages in the New Testament that so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and and -and and -and so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Do you know why? Because they end up that both the line of Joseph and the line of Mary are both in the tribe of Judah and they're sons of David. And Jesus sits on the throne of David forever. Ethan didn't get it. (laughs) He couldn't have got it. It was totally impossible. He couldn't think that out. That God would become a human person born in the line of David and would become the king of kings and the lord of lords and the prince of peace and on the throne of David sits Jesus Christ forever and ever. God is faithful to the throne of David. Well, Ethan had quite a struggle. And I don't speak it lightly we, we have struggles, real struggles. As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about this church. And boy, I tell you, looking back, there was a long autumn period where things were kind of cooling off. <laughs> and the leaves were falling. And there were a lot of questions. And then there was a winter... A time when things looked really tough. Snow blowing. Had to shovel snow every day. Every Sunday to get in here. It was a tough period, wasn't it? But spring comes. You can't stop it. And you can't stop God. And throughout that old period, I challenge you to think back. God was always faithful to his word. There may have been a lot of misunderstandings, but God was always faithful to his word. God is always faithful to his love. Did he ever stop loving you in the midst of the trials and the struggles? No. Yeah, We might stop loving him. (laughs) But God never stopped loving us. God is always faithful to his covenant. Throughout all that turmoil and struggle, people were still being saved. People were still being forgiven. People were invited to come into the Holy Spirit and listen to God and walk with God and talk to God. To be in an intimate relationship with God, no matter what the outward struggles. And God was faithful to his holiness. Through that struggle, through all that trial, we learn to be like Jesus. We learn to be characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Malcolm Muggeridge said one time, everything valuable he ever learned, he learned in a time of suffering. God is faithful, faithful to his holiness, and God is faithful to his eternal purposes. Through all the struggles and ups and downs of the church, and whether the church fulfills its purpose or not, or whether it's got this constitution or that constitution, God is on the throne, and he will always work out things to come around to what he wants, what he desires. And one day we'll understand when we see him in all his glory. And so I hope that as you think of this sermon today, God's faithfulness in the seasons of life. Think back over your church. And I want you to thank God for his faithfulness and praise God for what he's done in your heart and in your, in your collective heart, your life together. And you look forward. God, it's springtime. It's a new day. It's a new era. God is at work. Of course, I can't leave this without a personal application, too. I don't know a lot of you personally. But I know that in a group this size, there are people here who are grieving. Grieving. There are people here who have had the bottom kicked out of their life. There are people here who, who would like to write a poem like that and give God a piece of their mind. The trouble with giving somebody a piece of your mind is you always lose a lot. <laughs> but it's in us, you know, we want to, we want to yell back. And say, why did this happen? Why did that happen? God, you must not love me because you didn't take care of me. I've been there. I know. I know what it feels like. Even the wisdom of Don Cherry, I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Last night, some of you saw the the little tribute to the hockey player that committed suicide. Junior hockey player committed suicide last week. And Don Cherry had a very interesting he said, "It's not the end of the world when you lose your hockey career." And he said, "I remember—I forget exact words, but I remember when he he made it just two or three games in the NHL and he wasn't good enough, and he was sent back to the American League." And he said, "Dark things came into my mind." I thought, "Gee, he gets it." <laughs> and life—life life has difficulties for us, terrible difficulties. And, and in that, we need to take this psalm, and I hope you'll mark it in your Bible and take this psalm, and, and go back over it. In your life personally, hang on to the Word of God. Read the Word. Listen to the Word. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Learn to hear His thoughts in yours. And hang on to that, because God is always faithful to His Word. And God is always faithful to his love no matter what's ever happened to you, no matter how you feel, no matter how the bottom has fallen out, God still loves you. And you've got to tell yourself that once in a while. A lot of times you've got to tell yourself that. God still loves you. And hang on to the covenant. Jesus died on the cross to bring you, not just to forgive your sins, but to forgive your sins so that you can come into a covenant relationship with God. You're in a relationship with God that is special, that is fa- phenomenal, is wonderful, and it's not based on you, it's based on the faithfulness of God. And even if you're mad enough to write a poem like Ethan did that blames God, God is still faithful, you're still in the covenant. You're still his child, his daughter, his son. Hang on to that. And God is still faithful to his holiness. This mess, whatever it is, this tragedy, whatever it is, this un- un- unfathomable thing that just restored, destroyed your life, it will make you more holy. Because God is faithful to his holiness. It will make you more like Jesus Christ. And that's good. Hurtful sometimes. Tough, but it's good. God will remake you in the midst of your tragedy. And finally, God is faithful to his eternal purposes. When we look back after a thousand years, how will we count years when there is no, light, no difference in the sunlight? Intriguing, that's one of the fascinating things about what heaven will be like. Night and day stop. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> but when we look back after praising God for a thousand years, the tragedy we experience here will look like road bumps. And the glory of God will be all-encompassing. And we will be with him. God is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in all the ups and downs of life. Whether we think of the church here or the church of Jesus Christ in a bigger scale, or we think of each individual heart bowed before you. Father, I thank you for the scriptural teaching that just like winter turns to spring and darkness turns to light, you are faithful. And you will work in our circumstances. And you will work in our hearts. Father, I pray that you will give each one here today a deepening faith to trust you, to know that you are trustworthy and to trust you, to know that you are faithful and to trust you. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, enlighten us to hear your word and to know that you are faithful to your word. By your Spirit, enlighten us To be able to see and experience the love of God. And to know that you are faithful in your love. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help each one here today to understand, to grasp, to enter into the covenant relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And know that you are faithful to your covenant. You will never, never back down from salvation. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will help us, Lord, to participate in your holiness, to become like Jesus Christ. May the struggles of this life literally make us better by the power of your Spirit, Lord. And Lord, Give us that ability for a long view to see the years of this life and the eternities of the next and to realize that your purposes are bigger than we are. Lord, help us to trust you that your eternal purposes are secure. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. (coughs) Amen. <coughs>